following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Exodus 35. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall uh, kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins and goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil uh, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the effort and for the breast piece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its coverings, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases. I was tempted not to read this, but it's a lot. But I'm going to go through the checklist. Uh, the, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all the utensils, the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door and the door and the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings for the court, its pillars and its bases, the screen for the gate, of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. There's the checklist. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair, or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood for any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and uh, spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. 
all the men and, and, the, and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Um, if you've been following us as we've been studying through the book of Exodus, you know that um, uh, the first 18 chapters really focus on God bringing the people out of, out of Egypt as slaves, of God setting them free, of saving and rescuing them. And he brought them to uh, Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, uh, God lays out before them the conditions of a covenant relationship. So we get the Ten Commandments and then a whole bunch of other rules about what it means for them to worship God. And then a whole other set of instructions about building the tabernacle is really the blueprint for what worship was to look like for them. And uh, the book would have gone on uh, much quicker and I would have been able to finish, except for the fact that Israel sinned right in the middle of all this, right? And they build... Uh, they make a golden calf and they bow down and worship it, rejecting the God who saved them and worshiping this idol. So chapters 32 to 34 are kind of a break in uh, this covenant instruction and, and, and fulfillment of what they were supposed to do. Uh, but they dealt with that. God dealt with them uh, after a long process we've looked at. Uh, God restored and forgave them, renewed the covenant. And so in chapter 35 to, to the end of the book uh, of Exodus, it, it really reviews the fulfillment of what God told them to do in building uh, the tabernacle. And most of it is honestly a repetition, uh, sometimes almost verbatim, of chapters 25 to 31. And as a preacher, it would be very tempting to just skip this part and just say, you know, go back and listen to the sermons I did this summer. We're, we're just moving on. Uh, however, uh, in, it, it, these words are important. And when you look through Scripture, Scripture doesn't like waste a lot of ink on unnecessary words. In fact, I would say there's no wasted ink. Uh, and throughout even the book of Exodus, a lot of what's described is described very to the point, very little detail, very few words. But here you've got five chapters of repeated material. And what that tells us is this is important. Right? This is important. It's not wasted words. The very fact that Moses would, would take the effort to repeat all this shows its, its value and significance. And the, the big picture, and we'll be looking at this over the next few weeks, um, and, and the bottom line is it's, it's significant because it's fulfilling what God had commanded. It wasn't just enough that God told them what to do. Uh, it was noteworthy that they actually uh, did it exactly according to what God commanded. And so we come to uh, verse chapter 35, and it really begins this repetition. And um, it begins by restating several things. One, that they were to keep the Sabbath. Secondly, that they were to contribute uh, offerings for the building of the tabernacle. Uh, they were to, to make contributions of both material possessions like gold, silver, bronze, wood, and hides, as well as contribute their skilled labor and service, uh, making and weaving the, the material as well as actually building the tabernacle. Um, God, of course, created the heavens and the earth. Uh, God, God is not up there going, I just don't know how to build the tabernacle. I need your guys' help. Okay? That's all this is about. God could have easily 
built on his own and he created the heavens and earth. He could have created a space for them to worship. But one of the principles from the day of creation is that God wants us to participate with him in his work on the earth. Right? He, he wants to work in us and through us to accomplish his purpose in the world. Uh, he, when God created, created Adam and Eve, he instructed them that they were to rule over the earth, which was actually a, a work or, or a responsibility of God. But God shared that with Adam and Eve. And from that day on, it's been God's plan and purpose to do his work on earth through the active participation and cooperation of his people. And so here God invites them and instructs them that they were to have a part in building this very special place where he would be worshipped. And he would be worshipped there because it was to be his dwelling place. The tabernacle, the holy of holies would be the place where God would make his dwelling present on earth. And they were given the privilege of building this place and to participate in it. Uh, Likewise, the Church of Christ is being built uh, through the active contributions of His people. Right? God doesn't need you and I to build His kingdom. He doesn't need you and I to build His church. But the incredible thing is that He has invited every single one of us to take an active part in, in bringing people to Christ in proclaiming to the world who God is so that they can worship Him and know Him. Uh, So, there's a lot of parallels between what God instructs Israel and and, and our our role in making a contribution to God's work. Um, And it's interesting, the word that's used here is, it is an offering, but it's actually the word uh, contribution is really the best translation. He commands them to bring a contribution. And the difference between a contribution and just a general offering is this. A contribution has... um, the goal of accomplishing something, right? Uh, if you're on a team and everybody's working and everybody is contributing to the team, but you've got one person who's not contributing, what does that mean? Well, it means they're not doing anything constructive, right? They may be doing stuff, but they're not doing anything to add to the completion of the project. That's the idea here. They were to come and they were to contribute something, but not just a random gift, not just something, you know, whatever they had you know, that they weren't using. Like, I got some leftover dinner from last night. You went that? No. They were to contribute in ways that was to, to, to build the tabernacle. Right? They were to actually have a part in contributing to the construction of God's house. Um, so, just like Israel, we have the, the privilege of doing that, of contributing something to the construction of God's house. Uh, so, why is it that God wants us to contribute? Why is it that he invites us to join him in his work? Thank you. (coughs) Thank you for contributing. There's there's probably a lot of reasons why God invites us, but one of them is that not only is the uh, tabernacle going to be a place where they can bring their praise and their worship, but as as, um, Heather shared already this morning, our Everything we do, our actual giving of the contribution is itself worship. Whether that is giving a, a material gift or it's serving, it has the potential to be worship. But it also has the potential to not be worship. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Is everything you're doing, are you doing it 
in a way that is truly worshipful to God in your serving and your giving and your doing. Because uh, even if you intend it to be worship, if it's not given appropriately or according to God's instructions, it's not actually contributing anything and it's not really worship. So uh, this passage, God makes very clear not only that they are to contribute, but he explains how they are to do it so that they're Offering their contribution is truly helpful and, and a gift, an act of worship. Uh, so we're going to look at five things, that, five principles of how we can give our service and our, our gifts in ways that are truly uh, worshipful, honoring to God, and uh, c- contributing significant, in significant ways to building His church, building His kingdom. So first principle is this. Uh, abiding must be, come above doing. Abiding above doing. Um, and I use the word abiding here, not worship. But at first I had the word worship, not doing. But that, that kind of underlines a lot of what I'm saying here. Because doing is supposed to be worship. Right? Our serving, our doing, our active... Uh, in fact, the Bible says in everything you do, whether it's serving God or just serving your wife or you know, cleaning the bathroom can be worship. Right? All of our doing can be worship. Right? So I'm not really saying worship above doing because our doing should be worshipful. But our, our, our abiding with Christ needs to come above or before our serving him is what I mean by that. Um, and by abiding, I really mean the, the, the thought of drawing near to God, spending time in His presence, in fellowship and communion with Him. So doing is, is doing things for God, but abiding is really being in relationship with Him, spending time in communion with Him, in His Word, in prayer, in meditation, in, in times of, of, of praise and worship and um, in adoration. <coughs> Honoring Him by setting aside and devoting times of relationship with Him. Uh, so where do we get this from? It comes from uh, verse 2 uh, in the first section. It says, Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Praise God, we're living under a new covenant and we don't enforce this one anymore. Right, because we can have a little announcement. This this week we're putting to death these people because they failed to, right, inside covenant membership. <laughs> you're 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 out of here, right? Praise God for His grace, right? Uh, in those days, it was not there was not that kind of grace. I mean, this was serious stuff, right? You did not break the Sabbath and not pay the ultimate consequence of your life. That's how serious this was, right? Uh, and it was a huge priority. And of all the commandments, it's interesting that, uh, that Moses picks this one to start off this section on, on, on building the tabernacle. But it, it makes sense because uh, he's about to give a set of instructions of how they are to serve and labor and contribute to building the tabernacle. But even in this, he starts off with the priority that Sabbath comes first. And Sabbath is not only a day off. It is a Sabbath day of rest. And oftentimes we get this idea that, yeah, that's right, I need a Sabbath because I work so hard and I need rest. And that's true. We all need rest. But that is not the ultimate purpose of the Sabbath. 
It's not just a day off. It is a day holy to the Lord. In other words, it's a day consecrated and set apart for communion with God, for meeting with Him. And they were, of course, once the tabernacle is built, they were to go to the tabernacle on the Sabbath and they were to engage in, in uh, sacrifices and in eating meals together in God's presence of having relationship and communion and fellowship with God. That's what Sabbath is primarily about. A day devoted, dedicated, specifically and set apart for relationship with God. And, and, and God says... Uh, as important as the tabernacle work is, right? And this was important stuff. Building God's house was really important. Uh, later, after the exile, in the book of Haggai, the prophet Haggai criticizes the Israelites because they were not diligent in building the, the temple, God's house. Serious, important work. But even that work is secondary to abiding. Right? Sabbath comes first. So he lays out this principle that you're going to all be busy. You're going to be weaving and spinning and dyeing material and you're going to be preparing and forging gold and crafting stuff. But even the service on the tabernacle, you've you got to take days off. Right? You've got to take and set apart a day for Sabbath rest. So here's my principle. Doing things for God is never more important than spending time with God. Doing things for God is never more important than spending time with God. And the sad reality is that, especially among our community of people who are in full-time Christian service, uh, I, I've had, I can't even tell you how many conversations with people who have said, I do not have time to meet with God because I'm so busy serving Him. I've got so much to contribute. Right? I, and I am so important. And what I have to contribute to building God's kingdom, I don't have time for abiding with Christ. And I think the principle here, God would say to them, if that's you, you're contributing nothing. Right? You're contributing nothing. Because that's not what I asked for. Right? I asked you to be in an abiding relationship with me, to honor me in communion and fellowship first. Doing comes second. Right. Of course, th this is also true. If, if you're so busy abiding, you never do anything. Okay? You're also not contributing. Right? There would be a balance. So I'm not saying doing is unimportant. It is. Serving is extremely important. God's going to command them to contribute. But he makes very clear right at the top. Doing things for God is never more important. Never precludes or should, should push aside the priority in our life to meet with him in fellowship and communion. Uh, it's a serious matter. There's a death penalty for Israel if they did not keep these things in balance. Right? And we, we face the same temptation, same pressure to lose the balance on this one. Right? First principle. Second principle, dependence above giving. Uh, I find this is just fascinating. And this is... Maybe I'm stretching things a bit, but as I pondered this passage, I just thought this was very fascinating to me. That when God sent them out from uh, Egypt, when he rescued them, he delivered them. Uh, they go out, and within a matter of just a day or two out into this barren wilderness where, where they're headed, um, there's no villages out there. 
There's no, believe it or not, there is no 7-Eleven. Hard to imagine, right? No markets. There's not even weeds growing in the ditches. Like even without 7-Eleven in Thailand, nobody's going to starve to death because if you know what to do, there's weeds and, and stuff and, and, you know, you can find food everywhere. They're out in a barren desert wilderness, right? And there's, there, there's nothing to eat. And so within a few days, they're out of water. A few more days, they're completely out of food. And so they, uh, they have nothing to live on. And of course, God miraculously provides water. He turns the bitter water into sweet water. He, he brings water from the rock. He rains down manna from heaven every day. And there's this principle that, that they needed to trust God daily to keep them alive. Right? They, they were in a position of extreme dependence on God. Right? Every day, they had to trust that God was going to rain down manna or they would starve to death. And God did. God was faithful. He met their need. But here's the, here's the thing that I think is ironic, and for me it's just funny. Okay, they, don't, they don't have bread. They don't have water, right? But they've got stashes of gold and silver, right? Verse 5, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, fine twined linen, this is not like, you know, burlap. This is like nice stuff. Nice stuff. Treasures. Goat's hair. Tanned ram skins and goat skins. Acacia wood. Oil and spices. Gemstones. Right? Um, so here's the thing. They, they don't have food to eat, but they're carrying around significant stashes of gold, silver, and bronze. And apparently acacia wood. This is my favorite one, right? Egypt had very few trees. So... Uh, Egypt had to, one of the things it had to import was wood. And that's why they had developed these extensive shipping routes all over the Mediterranean, because they needed wood. So all their wood had to be imported. So wood was a bit of a, uh, of a rare commodity, right? So it, it may have been kind of at the level of bronze or something. But I just think it's funny. Here's this, these people who just got rescued out of slavery in Egypt, wandering off through the wilderness. And some guy's, some guy's dragging along two by fours. It's like, I can just hear his wife, like, what, you're bringing lumber? <laughs> What's wrong with you, right? <clears throat> but apparently, somebody was. Because they, they, had, they had two by fours. <clears throat> um, my kind of guy. Forget the gold. Bring the lumber. Now, of course, there's, there's critics of, of the Exodus in the Bible who say, how could they have been, you know, had all this uh, wealth? They were just poor slaves in Israel. It's true they were slaves, but they weren't typical slaves. Most slaves fall into slavery because their country is invaded. Uh, they are overthrown and they're taken captive away from their home and their homeland to a foreign place where they lost everything, right? And they go with nothing. But that was not actually the case of the Israelites. They had been uh, at home in Egypt for 430 years, much of that time not as slaves, but as free people who had been given the best of the land of Egypt in terms of pasture land, the land of Goshen. And so, and they came with wealth, and the Bible says in Genesis that while they were there, their wealth increased. And so they, they weren't poor, and certainly when they left, uh, they took everything with them they could, because they knew they were going to the promised land, and they were not coming back to Egypt. So I'm sure they took everything that they could, and certainly all of their, their valuable possessions like gold and silver. 
Uh, on top of that, we know that on the night of the Exodus, the Egyptians loaded them up with more riches and wealth and treasure. Right? So it's not surprising that they're wandering around. But uh, to me, it's just ironic that God in his sovereignty, he could have arranged things any way he wanted. And he did not say to the Egyptian people, load up the Israelites with grain and barley and wheat. It's gold and silver, right? Uh, so why does, why, does it do, why does God do this? Why does he not give them the basic means of survival, but he gives them wealth? Well, of course, uh, largely because he knew he was going to have them build this tabernacle. But really, he could have opened up the mountainside and all the resources been there uh, at Mount Sinai or wherever. He could have opened up a big hole in the ground full of gold and silver and gems. Why did he give them possession of gold, but not bread. Well, uh, the text doesn't say exactly, but, uh, it, but it does say this. Verse 5, it says, Take from among you a contribution to the, to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Um, the, the point is this. God wanted their contribution to come from a generous heart. Um, this is all about them being able to give generously and sacrificially out of a heart that was moved to participate in this way. Um, our contribution, our service, a principle here is that it must come from a generous heart. But here's kind of the rest of the principle. A generous heart does not come from abundance, but from dependence. Okay, a generous heart does not come from abundance, but from dependence. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, obviously, generosity does require some measure of abundance. Okay, we can't give what we don't have. Okay, if, you're, if you have nothing to give, you're, you can't be generous. right? So it's true that we need something to give. And so God gives them wealth that they have a capacity to be generous with. Um, but... We oftentimes have the wrong idea about what generosity is. And we think that, that if I have enough that I can afford to be generous, then I will give. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Uh, you know, maybe you're out raising support, you know, and you talk to somebody and they're like, oh, I love what you're doing. I would love to support you if I could just afford to. Right? And you go, like, oh. <laughs> right? Uh, and we, we have this idea that generosity is a matter of our abundance. That if we have overflow, we have leftover, if we have more than enough, then we can afford to be generous. But that's not how generosity really works. Generosity does not come from abundance, but from dependence. From having to trust in God. And the reality is, uh, there are very wealthy people out there who may not be Christians, who, who give a lot, right? Christians are not the only people who give, and certainly poor people are not the only people who give. Wealthy people give, right? But uh, I'm not convinced that they always give out of a truly generous heart. Uh, a couple of years back in the U.S., I saw this um, survey of, of uh, comparing people's income with the percentage that they give, right? And now, of course, millionaires give quantity-wise, give way more than I do. But what's interesting is the more people give, the smaller the actual percentage of income is their giving. In fact, according to this survey, those who made uh, U.S. dollars less than 50000 per year 
gave about 5% of their income on average. Whereas people who, who, who uh, made a million dollars a year or more gave uh, barely 1%. Right? So average middle class people gave five times as much uh, percentage-wise as wealthy people. So who's really the generous one? Right? Probably the, the poorer people. Right? And, and, and that statistic has showed that even people who made less than 30000 a year, many of those people still gave 3 to 4% of their income. So the point is this. We don't give, we're not generous because we have leftovers. Uh, generosity comes from a place where we have come to depend on God. And so God, God set this up brilliantly. Every day they wake up, they don't have food to eat unless God supplies it. Right? They're dependent every day for the very bread they eat. But through that they learn something and the, what they learn is this, God is going to take care of them. And you see, when I am convinced that I have to take care of myself, when I'm dependent on me, then I'm going to be reluctant to give because I'm going to think this, or I'm going to think, you know, if I don't have good reserves, if I lose my job, if I can't take care of me, nobody will. So I'm not going to be very generous. But when I have learned that, you know, it doesn't matter what happens to me, God is going to be faithful to take care of me. If, if I lose everything, I can trust that God is faithful to take care of me. And you know what? That gives me a, a freedom to be generous. Because I know that I can give it all away today, and tomorrow God's going to give it back. Right? He's going to take care of me. Um, so that's where generosity comes from. That's the kind of heart and attitude that God wants as we contribute if we contribute because we think we're doing God a favor, because we feel this great sense of duty or obligation, um, we're missing it. Right? He wants it to come from a heart that's generous, that's willing, that's eager to give. Third principle, uh, obedience above sacrifice. Uh, and this is another funny thing in this passage that I think it's funny, maybe you won't, but... Um, Essentially, in this passage, they are ordered to volunteer. <laughs> They're commanded to give a free will offering. Verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. It's a command. It's an order. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. <laughs> so they're ordered to volunteer. Uh, verse 29. Verse 29, by the way, kind of summarizes the whole chapter or the whole section. It says, All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded, brought it as a free will offering. Okay, so here's the question. How can you command a free will offering? Right? What is this about? Why does God command something that he wants, it to, wants to be a free will? That seems kind of odd. Why, why didn't he just say... Uh, this is not a command, but I would love it if you would generously contribute. And I'm giving you this opportunity, and I want, to, I want you to know that you're invited right, to do this. Uh, but that's not what he says. He's very careful to make sure that this is a command, right? not just an invitation. It is an order from God. It is a command. It's something they were to obey. But the heart of it is that it's all, it is an invitation in which their obedience 
uh, is to freely respond and participate in, in contributing to the work. Uh, so what, what is this about? Well, it needs to be a command for this reason. And the reason is simply this, that God, God comes first. God's in charge. God is in control. It is, it is his idea and his plan, not theirs. Now, if, you, if you remember back a couple of chapters, chapter 32, they, they took an offering on that day as well. Remember what happened in chapter 32? They all came to Aaron and they said, make for us a God. And Aaron said, well, okay, let's take up an offering. And they all, with willing hearts, <laughs> right, contributed, right, was that an acceptable gift of worship? No, it was, it was a horrible sin for which God almost wiped them out. And here, see, here's the difference. One was their idea. This time it's God's idea. And there is all the difference in, those, in the world between those two things. My idea, God's idea. And God makes it a command to make clear, I'm... This is my purpose. This is my program. This is my plan. This is not Moses' idea. It's not the leader's or elder's idea. It's not cool because this is what religions do. You know, like they look around and see, oh, religious people build temples. Let's build a temple. No. God makes it clear that this is all originating with him. Right? So what they do is, is in response, it's, it's in obedience to him. It's to be done freely. It's to be done with a willing heart. So he's not demanding that everybody do this. But he says, I'm commanding you, of those of you who want to, uh, bring your contribution to the Lord. Um, and the principle is this. Really, obedience must come first. Uh, we, we must be very careful that we respond to God according to what He has directed and we do not initiate things we want to do for God of our own idea. Um, God seeks willing obedience to his plan. He wants it to be voluntary and willing, but it must be in submission to his purpose and will. Not inventing our own plan, even if it's for his sake. Okay? Not inventing our own plan, even if it's for his sake. And there's lots of people running around doing all kinds of work for God that I'm telling you God had nothing to do with. And their hearts are right, their intentions are good, but it is not an acceptable contribution to God because it's our idea, not His. Uh, to put it another way, our giving and serving must be in response to what God has commanded and directed. To obey is better than sacrifice. Um, that's, that phrase, to obey it is better than sacrifice, actually comes from a story in, uh, regarding um, Saul in 1 Samuel. God had commanded King Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites. Uh, and it was when they were invading the land, so down the road a bit, and they had invaded the land, they were living there, but they hadn't conquered it. And so God was sending Saul out with his army to conquer the land. And so he said, I want you to go against the Amalekites and I want you to completely destroy them, meaning I want you to kill every living person and destroy all their possessions, all their flocks, all their herds, all their houses. Everything is to be completely destroyed. By the way, it was to be an, that destruction was an offering to God. Just to be clear on that. Again, 
Old Testament, we don't really do this so much anymore. Okay? Um, so Saul goes and God gives Saul victory, and he defeats the Amalekites and wipes them out. But he does not destroy everything. He keeps all the flocks and herds. And Samuel shows up to visit and find out. Samuel the prophet shows, shows up to visit Saul. And uh, Saul said to Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 15, Saul says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of ox that I hear? If you obeyed, what's with the sheep and the cows? Right? And uh, they have this exchange, and Saul makes some excuses. And then uh, um, and Saul says this. He says, they have, brought, they have brought, right, the people, not me. They have brought them, the sheep and oaks, from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and oxygen, oxygen, oxen. <laughs> spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. Right? Look at how no, we came up with this great idea. We're going we're gonna to worship God. Right? But Samuel says, that's not what God told you to do. Right? That is not the gift he asked for. And then he, he says this great thing. He says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Now, are we guilty of giving God gifts he did not ask for? Probably. Offering up our worship to God, doing things for him he did not ask. It's not a contribution that is acceptable to him. Um, I have to confess that I've made one of the most serious foolish and clueless mistakes a married man can ever make. Right? No, I did not commit adultery. Uh, I bought my wife a vacuum cleaner for Christmas. Okay. There's really very few things you could do worse, I found out. Right? Um, I thought it was so cool. I spent a ton of money on this vacuum cleaner. And, and I was, we were quite poor at the time. And I was convinced she would love this because it would make her life easier. Right? And so I got this vacuum cleaner, and um, wow, she was not happy with it, right? Because I did not ask her what she wanted, right? Because if I would have asked her, Denise, what would make your life easier? She would have said, not buy me a vacuum cleaner, but vacuum for me, (laughs) right? That would have made her life easier. (laughs) You know, how often are we guilty of giving God a vacuum cleaner he does not want or need, right? Uh, obedience must come before sacrifice, before uh, our contribution. Okay, fourth principle. We're going to hurry through these last two real quick. Participation above professionalism. Um, it, when you look through, uh, and I'm just going to read these snippets real quick, but uh, notice how many times it uses the word all or every. Verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation, Verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make what the Lord has commanded. Verse 21, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him brought the Lord's contribution. Verse 22, so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. 
brought all kinds of stuff. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And verse 22, everyone who possessed uh, blue or purple scarlet yarns or goat's hair uh, brought them. Verse 24, everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it. And everyone who possessed acacia wood, it's here for those carpenters, uh, brought it. Verse 25, every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they brought what they had spun. Verse 26, all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goat's hair. Verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose hearts were moved, brought stuff for the word, right? Uh, a lot of the use of the word all and every there. Uh, and I think the principle is this. God loves it when everyone participates in his work, right? Uh, we live in a day of, of experts and professionalism. And more and more work and more and more ministry in the church and out of the church and the world is you know, we're turning to experts and professionals, guys who you know, have been to 900 years of seminary and Bible college and can speak 25 languages. Let those guys do the work. Right? And, and certainly there's a place for expertise and professionals. God calls uh, you know, two experts, Bezalel and Ohaliab, to oversee the work. They were master craftsmen. They were experts. Uh, the priests were raised up as, as professionals who would do this as a career. Right? So there is a place for that. But God values participation by everybody more so than turning the work over to a handful of professionals. Right? We've got to be super careful that we don't uh, make ministry so professional and so, so much for only the experts that everyday people have no place. Because that is not God's purpose. Right? He wanted every single person to have a part in contributing something meaningful and significant to the work. Some have gold, some had silver, some had two-by-fours. And the guys who didn't even have lumber... They had skills, and they could spin, and they could weave, and they could dye cloth. Right? Everybody could contribute something. Uh, so it is in the church. 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who powers them all in everyone. You have a gift. You have something to contribute that other people can't. Right? And I might be some, somewhat of an expert or a professional. I get paid to do this anyway. Uh, I can't do it all. Right? And I don't carry all the gifts. Right? All of us need to contribute for the work to go forward. Uh, so we need to value everybody's particip participation and not expect the professionals to do it all or make excuses that I'm not an expert, therefore I have nothing to contribute. Everybody has a gift from God. God made sure with the Israelites that everybody had some gold bracelet, some board from some cupboard, something. Everybody had the opportunity. And I love that God wants everybody to be a part of his work. Last thing, last principle. Um, willingness above ability. Uh, it kind of ties in with the previous one, but it's, it's, he says... Uh, over and over again, you know, whoever, whoever is of a generous heart, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him. The word stirred or moved has the idea of being carried along because you're burdened, because you believe in what you're contributing to. 
uh, verse 22, all who were of a willing heart, uh, they brought a free will offering. Uh, God is not really looking so much for people with great wealth or impressive talent as much as he is, is, he is looking for a willing heart. Right? God wants our availability and our willingness far more than he needs our, our wealth because he doesn't need our wealth. Uh, it all came from him. He doesn't need our abilities. It came from him. Right? What he needs is hearts that are available, that willingly want to contribute to worship. Right? And that's what makes it worshipful. When we come with a willing heart and say, God, I give this all to you as my gift uh, because I love you. Because of what Jesus did on the cross to redeem me, I want to give back. Uh, I want to contribute. And God says, yes, I invite you to be a part of what I'm doing. Um, how do we grow a more willing heart? I think by becoming more and more convinced of God's grace, by experiencing more and more his love, by coming more and more every day to be dependent on the cross and on the power of God at work in our life um, so that we serve out of a grateful, grateful heart, not out of a sense of duty. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.